Oh, there it is. Lovely. <laughs> Glad you guys had some time to, to wake up. That sounded like a, an enthusiastic good morning. So I can't see me either. Oh, I still can't see me, but that's okay. I always feel like I should have two of these up here to give myself space. Is there an extra one? It'd be great. Do you mind grabbing me an extra one? Then I could just have my command center. Um, thank you, appreciate it. Okay. Good morning. So, random fact about myself. Um, some may know, some may, no, may not, but for many years, about seven years, I drove a big 40-foot, I don't know if you guys know feet, but, you know, they're about that big, 40-foot-long uh, school bus. So, uh, yeah, technically it's school bus chrome uh, is the, the, the technical color, but I drove it. And we, uh, when, I, when I was training for it at the age of 22, and I looked like I was 14, so it confused the teachers, but we had to go through a thing called the Smith system. Is anybody familiar with the Smith system? It's kind of a defensive driving techniques. So there's a thing in the Smith system, key four, leave yourself an out. Leave yourself an out. It makes sense. It's good for everybody, even if you're not a commercial driver. If you've ever been a commercial driver, there's a difference between whether you're legally responsible and whether or not your company thinks you're responsible. Company thinks you're responsible if you could have avoided it, even if it was the other person's fault. So clearly, leave yourself an out. You're, you're getting the big picture, another Smith system, right? You're looking, you're making sure you have an out on either side, left or right. You're kind of watching things ahead, right? Because if an accident happens, another Smith system, if the unexpected happens, you need to expect the unexpected, and you have to be able to move. Buses are big vehicles. They take a while to stop. Now... Leaving yourself an out is good when it comes to driving. Have you ever tried applying it to life in general? How many of you guys have a, a game plan when you go to a party? Anybody? Any of the singles have a game plan when they go on a date? Get that random call. Oh, I'm sorry, my, you know, my cat died for the sixth time. He's got nine lives, though, so it's okay. You know, it's okay to leave yourself an out sometimes, but there's, a, there's a, a time in which leaving yourself an out is just a way to not commit, right? It's a way to not commit. And that's something that the religious leaders of Jesus' time wanted to do. Unlike John Wayne in Hundo, they did not say, Mr., when I give my word, I keep it. They wanted to have a tiered system of what it meant to keep their word. For example, we see a, uh, a rabbi from the school of Hillel, Rabbi Judah, who said, he that says, by Jerusalem, says, says nothing, right? If I make a promise by Jerusalem, 
it's meaningless. It's okay. I can, I can break that promise. It says, unless with an intent, pur- intent purpose, he shall vow towards Jerusalem. So this particular school of Jewish thought said, you know what? If you're going to make a promise, if you're going to make an oath, and you say by Jerusalem, you're fine. It's kind of like crossing your fingers, right? You know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't real. But if you actually face Jerusalem and you make that promise, that's, that's when you have to keep it. Have you guys seen that played out anywhere else in life? What would that look like for you today? Now, maybe when you're a kid, it's, it's crossing your fingers. You know, maybe as we get older, we get the legal speak, you know, and we, we just kind of fudge the words a little bit, you know. You know, we, we might say, well, you know, I, you know I, I, I think I can make it. I think I can make it. Now, that's fair. It's fair if you genuinely think you can make it. But if you're doing it just to avoid a commitment with giving the, the perception that you're actually committing, then we have an issue, right? You're leaving yourself an out in a rather unhealthy way. I want you to think about this as we read these sayings from Jesus. We're continuing on in something called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this long talk that Jesus gave, his, his longest talk, I believe, we have recorded in Scripture. We've been doing this for, I don't even know how many weeks now. Are we on four or five weeks so far? And we're still in this same talk, this same sermon by Jesus. And he's in this bit in which he's saying, you've heard it said this, but I say this. And it helps to have this context that Jesus would have been aware of what the people of his day were doing with oaths, were doing with promises. So I'm going to invite Ruth up to read. We're going to start on page 969 in the Blue Bibles. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Thank you so much. So this uh, sermon or talk that Jesus is giving, we, we've been saying it's, it's Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. So where have we been so far? Well, we started with these things called Blessed sayings or beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. And then we go into kind of character type things like blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers. We see in these a kind of upside down kingdom. You see, if we see Jesus as a revolutionary trying to recruit followers for his kingdom, you would think he would go for the powerful. You think he'd go for those who who could win a battle who could stand up for him, who could be revolutionaries in human eyes. But he doesn't. 
There's something upside down about this kingdom. He's calling the poor, the meek. We then went into a talk about being salt in light. We said that means we're meant to be distinct. We're meant to stick out to the world. We see in Matthew 5.16, why should we stick out? Well, because that's what we are. We've been changed. We've had transformed hearts. But also, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we have an upside-down kingdom that sticks out so that God might get the glory. And why does it stick out? Because it's made up of people who are living from the inside out. And it's this idea of inside out that we've moved into. A couple weeks ago, Alex spoke on murder. I was uh, re-watching the talk and was quite amused when he asked the question, uh, which of the Ten Commandments is easiest to keep? And only 60% said, do not murder. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, or anyone who says raka, or whoever says fool is subject to judgment. This might be connected to Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the, the peacemakers. You see, what Jesus had started on, of saying blessed are these things, he's now showing what does it look like to live like that from the inside out. So I'd like to show you these uh, concentric circles here. And I think this helps us read each of these passages. You see, it starts off with these sort of first, first two are, you've heard it said. So Jesus is pulling from the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, which is from like Leviticus and Numbers in the Old Testament. It was the law given to the people of Israel. But also from tradition, what I read from Rabbi, Rabbi Judah earlier, was just tradition of the day, their interpretation in their additions to what good Jews were meant to follow. So when it comes to the first section, you've heard it said, whether this is primarily through the law, not just tradition, but you shall not murder. But what Jesus is trying to do is push us to the heart of the matter. And he does this by saying, but I tell you. And he wants to ask the question, what does it look like to live from the inside out? So it's not like you're just following a GPS saying, turn left, turn right, but you have a compass in your hand. And you know how to make decisions when the situations are difficult because you're living as a peacemaker. You're living as someone who is merciful. We see that with, with adultery, when Matt spoke on adultery and lust uh, last week. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He says, but I tell you, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we talked about the law against committing adultery, but also the traditions of the day, some rabbinic traditions that allowed for divorce simply for burning the bread. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Why am I doing this review? Because I want to emphasize as we come to this new text, we're looking for the heart of the matter. We're not looking for simply a list of things to do and to not do. It's important to consider those things, and some things are very clear that we ought not to do. But you miss the point if you miss the heart of the matter. So what do we see here? You've heard it said to the people long ago, 
Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So if we're looking back at this, where do you think this is coming from? If you had to pick one of the Ten Commandments, does anyone want to take a guess? What do you think, what do you think it's saying? Each of these has, has pointed to one of the Ten Commandments so far. Is anybody bold enough to take a guess? Three. It is. It is. We'll come to that in a second. So we've talked about the tradition first, right? The tradition was you can make this tiered list of if I swear this way, I have to keep it. If I swear this way, I don't have to keep it. And this is what Jesus is addressing. But he's also pointing to other passages. Like in Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So he's pointing directly to that. Keep your oaths you've made to God. What else he's pointing to is the third of the Ten Commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, I think at first thought, I think some of us would think the most obvious of the Ten Commandments that this is pointing to, this idea that we should not, uh, that we should keep our oaths is don't bear false witness, right? Doesn't this have to do with truthfulness? Doesn't this have to do with honesty? To a degree, yes, but it has to do with more than that. Something we will see as we get to the heart of the matter. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees who want to find loopholes in what they say, loopholes in commitments they make. What's wrong with this? We'll see it here. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is, his, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. What's going on there? Let's think about the logic of oaths for a second. What is, what's happening in these oaths? If I say, I swear on the health of my mother, it's a very weird thing to say. It is, right? Have you ever stopped and thought how weird oaths can be? Like, is the health of my mother something I can give? Right? I hope not. Right? It's not, it's not mine to give. And so what is Jesus getting at? Well, when you say you swear by heaven, you swear by earth, you swear by your own head, you act as though it's yours to give. As though if you break your word, you can just give these things up or bring them into disrepute. But whose are these things? They're God's. This is why breaking an oath Making a frivolous oath is a misuse of God's name. 
Because when you make an oath, when you make a promise, and I think when Jesus really gets to the heart of matter, even when you speak words, you are appealing to God's name. You are appealing to God's reputation. Because everything is God's. You, can, you can't talk about anything. You can't promise anything without reference to God. Because it's all his. So what is Jesus saying? Let's just stop trying to give away what you can't give away. Stop trying to claim what's not yours to claim. Not only that, but for bad purposes. So you can get out of a commitment. So you can lie. So you can seek your own good. I was doing some reading uh, in preparation from this on uh, lying, and I asked myself, I said, I wonder if there's any cultures or contexts in which, which kind of uh, dishonesty, uh, going back on your word, is actually appreciated. And I thought this was quite interesting. I guess unsurprisingly, it starts off with in Wall Street. <laughs> in Wall Street, there are some intricate and complicated rules about stating facts. In most business negotiations, people basically agree at the start of the negotiations that it is permissible to lie to each other. The magic words are without prejudice. He goes on to say, if, if I'm working for one bank and negotiating with another bank, I'd have more respect for the other side if they lied to me and got a good deal for their employer since they owe a legal duty to their employer, but none to me. Do you know what that misses? We have a legal duty before God, right? It acts as though there is something other than God that is God that can claim that legal right upon us. So Jesus is primarily addressing this tradition that you can somehow make these tears, right? I can say a lesser oath and break it. Right? Because I didn't make the greater oath. But he pushes to the heart of the matter and says, why are we making oaths at all? Because oaths are only needed in a society built on distrust. And Jesus is trying to build a kingdom based on mutual trust in which each person seeks the good of the other and the good of God. So how are we supposed to read this? Do we not make oaths? No judgment on if you made an oath yesterday during the coronation? Full disclosure, I'm American, so I didn't. I think we settled that back in 1776. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can hate on me in the Q&R. So let's think of three possible ways to understand this as we try to seek the heart of the matter. Could it be that we're not meant to make any oaths at all? Well, if that's the case, then uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 1.23, kind of calls God as his witness, a form of, of swearing and an oath. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. It might seem like a rather tame one, but Paul seems 
happy to do it. And I think Paul probably had a decent understanding at what Jesus was trying to get at. So perhaps that's, that's not the case. Well, maybe oaths, maybe, maybe only oaths that are required. We see in Numbers 5.21, it says, Then let the priest make the woman take an oath of the curse. This is in the law of Moses, actually commanding that an oath be taken. So maybe, maybe it's permissible to take oaths that are required either by the state or, or by God. Some Christians hold outright that, no, you shouldn't at all do this. That's a historic position. But the early church didn't seem to understand that way. They would point to the oaths of, of Paul and the oaths in the Old Testament. Or maybe we can understand it to mean no careless oaths or those meant to lead you and out. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. I think he's particularly addressing the traditions of his day that want to say you can swear this way and it's fine. It's fine to break it. But if you swear this way, you should. He's saying, no, 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 no. There shouldn't be a need for oaths because your word should be a word. Speak with yes and with no. I think particularly the fact that Paul was willing to make oaths Jesus responded in the court before Pilate when they asked him under oath. He gave a response, though he didn't swear the oath himself. He responded when he was asked to respond under oath. So I think what Jesus is getting at, the heart of the matter is no careless oaths or ones meant to leave you and out. So if that's what it means, what are we meant to do now? How do we respond to this? I want you to think for a second. What makes it so difficult to keep our word? I was uh, celebrating a friend's birthday uh, two nights ago. And uh, he was turning 30, so we're reflecting upon just life and the difference between the 20s and the 30s. And, and one thing that came to my mind um, and I won't presume that anybody, this is true of anybody else, and I won't call myself old, so I won't offend anybody else either. Um, but I realized in the 20s, I spent almost every night out very late. It's probably very typical of a single young guy. You know, out past midnight, 6.30 a.m. work in the morning. Night after night after night. This is not prescriptive. I'm not telling you to go do it. I'm just saying I was fine. I had the energy. And then something happened as I got into my 30s. I would make plans in the morning with my 20-something mind on. 6.30 would come along, and I'd regret it. And I'd think to myself, surely I can't bail. I'm the one that planned this thing. <laughs> and in that moment, I had a choice to make, right? I think quite often when we break our promises or we break our commitments, and I'm, I'm not saying there's not extenuating circumstances or times when you just have to reschedule plans, 
But a lot of times I think it does relate to energy, time. Perhaps we've made a careless promise. Perhaps we didn't think through things well enough. I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, words are cheap. I used to have an employer when I was late, and if I ever tried to promise to be on time next time, he says, I don't want any promises. I don't want you to even say sorry. I just want you on time next time. Sometimes it's energy. Sometimes it's, it's forgetfulness. Now, you might want to think forgetfulness is forgivable, and I think in many cases it is, but if it's something that becomes perpetual, I think it becomes a fundamental issue I'll get to later. I think the biggest one that Jesus is addressing, particularly in light of the religious leaders and the traditions of the day, was self-interest. Those who make a promise intending to break it, or at least intending to leave themselves in out, perhaps something better would come along. Perhaps their self-interests would change. What's... What's so bad about breaking our word from time to time? What's the issue? I mean, it doesn't really hurt anybody, does it? Or it, it might. I mean, we're, we're all a bit imperfect. I think the reason Jesus is drawing on this is it undermines what he's trying to build in two ways. One, he wants a kingdom in which we can trust each other. Vibrant societies are built upon trustworthy people who do what they say. They can function in harmony. But I think the other thing goes back to being the salt and light of the world that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Not only is the problem with oaths, oaths that it's, it's, it's not mine to give. Everything is God's. We're meant to be windows. We're meant to point to who God is. What does God want? God wants a people that live together in harmony, that love, that are at peace, that seek each other's good, that have joy. But he also wants the world to see it. And the crazy thing, and I don't know why God does this, but the crazy thing he's chosen to do is to use us to show people who he is. And so when we're not a people known for keeping our word, what are they going to think of God? That's why it profanes the name of God. 
That's why it's taking God's name in vain when we don't keep our word. Because we're meant to show people God's faithfulness, that he always keeps his promises. It's a tall order. It's a tall task. How do we go about doing this? I'm going to invite Colin up in a second as we reflect. I picked an old hymn. Some of you might know, some of you may not. Rock of Ages. It's got some old English language in it, be warned. Rock of ages cleft for me, this crevice in a rock. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. So when Jesus had his side pierced out came this water-like liquid and blood. So through his death, sin, our separation from God, can be cured. We can save from his wrath and be made pure. Why did I pick this? Because I think the primary issue we have with keeping oaths, with honesty in general, is self-interest. What does it take to be a people of radical honesty, of radical commitment? I think we need to hide ourselves in God. I actually think that's kind of beautiful. Like, this is a scary task ahead of us, isn't it? It's a scary task ahead of us. You know, just let your yes be yes and your no be no, as, as James, the half-brother of Jesus, says. Or, and you need to say simply yes or no and keep your word. That's hard. So when you have a scary task, what do you do? You hide. You hide in God. What do I mean by this? You hide in his grace, realizing that if I fail, I can keep going. That he's going to empower me to do it. I can hide in his love. What does that look like? Well, when I have to keep a commitment that just seems to work against my self-interest, I can know that God loves me and he can work together things for good, even when it doesn't seem to be the case. And I can hide in his power that I am safe there, even when I seem to have to, work, have to work against my own interests, so that I can keep my word, so that people can know and see and experience that God is a God of his word. God is a God who keeps his promises. The second half of Rock of Ages ends with grace, which I love. Because when we fail, God gives us grace. Let's be a people of radical honesty, of radical commitment, because we worship and follow a God who keeps his promises. If you don't know those promises, they're offered to you today. He offers you new life. You can be part of this kingdom he's building, this kingdom which will come. Colin, I'd like to invite you up.